The Nerdalogs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy based on shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Try to keep your stories around five minutes, laugh at jokes, cry if appropriate, and applaud everyone who has the guts to sit here, tell a story, and come out as a nerd. Hey everybody, and happy birthday! My name is Eric Arnault, and this is the first part of the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories December podcast. The theme this month is annual, because, guess what? As of the day of this episode's release, we are officially one year old! Woo! Thank you very much, sincerely, to everyone who supported us this first year, either by telling a story or listening to one. Uh, I cannot wait to see what happens next. So in keeping with today's annual theme, we've got a lot of great celebratory introspective stuff from speakers Kevin Reeder, Charlie Madsen, Shelby Mongan, Chris Crotwell, and remote from New Jersey, Charlie Cannell. Hear about New Year's traditions, Comic-Con speed dating, epic football games, peppermint ice cream, and of course, the warning signs that you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. This episode also has myself, Dwight Hassler, and special guest singer Claire Friedman performing some of our favorite songs released in 2012. What are we going to play? Now for some plugs. Our next Your Stories recording is Sunday, December 16th, 7pm, at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 5219 North Clark Street. The theme of that recording is totally open-ended, so come talk about whatever you want. We're also going to use the show to re-record some stuff from our previous year that did not make it to the podcast, so if you've got an old favorite that you want to hear shared, please let us know. Also, tis the season for holiday specials, and we've got a pretty sweet one planned. On Friday, December 21st, the Nerdalogs is doing its own take on the legendary and awful Star Wars Holiday Special. Can we get Joe Gennaro home to Ohio in time to celebrate Life Day? Come to I.O. 3541 North Clark around midnight to find out. Tickets are only $5, and we are going to have a super great time putting this on. Uh, As we enter year two of our glorious life, I do want to again suggest that if you enjoy the show on a regular basis, you can kick a few bucks our way to help cover production and hosting costs. Uh, We've got a donate button on our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com that makes it really easy to give us a few bucks through PayPal, and any amount helps. Thank you very much for listening, and please enjoy. So the theme tonight is annual, and it's annual for a couple of reasons. One is the year is approaching its end, but two, more important to me, is that the Your Stories podcast has now been a thing for a year. We, thank you. We recorded the first one of the Sunday before Thanksgiving last year, and we are still going strong. So... Uh, Tonight, because of the theme, Dwight and I are going to play some of our favorite songs from the past year. Um, yeah, right? So you might All the bad ones are Eric's choices. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you might notice Dwight has a new toy. This is a melodica. It's like a mouth-operated keyboard <laughs> slash breathalyzer, and he's going he's gonna to use it tonight. Oh, yeah. So, drunk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. So here we go. Um... Uh, oh, I better give myself a note. Uh, there we go. Uh, 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 hey, baby, won't you look my way? I can be your new addiction. Hey, baby, what you gotta say? All you're giving me is fiction. I'm a sorry sucker, and this happens all the time. I find out that everybody talks, everybody talks, everybody talks. It started with a whisper, and that was when I kissed her. And then she made my lips hurt. I can hear the chit chat. Take me to your love shack. Mama's always got a backdrop when everybody talks, man. Hey, honey, would you be my drug? Too much can be an overdose on the track 
this year that you just could not escape. Uh, one was terrible, one is pretty good, and one is great. We're not going to play the terrible one that was Call Me Maybe. <laughs> this, is, this is the one that... This is the one... This is the one that I would call great. I think this is a fantastic song, and uh, this was both our choices, actually. This was the only places where our lists came together, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> Let's do that right. That you were right for me But felt so lonely in your company But that was love and it's an ache I still remember Addicted to a certain kind of sadness Like resignation to the end Always the end So when we found that we could not make sense Well you said that we would still be friends But I'll admit that it was glad It was over <laughs>
change your number I guess that I don't need that though Now you're just somebody that I used to know Somebody Teller is going to be the guy who brought me into the Nerdalogs uh, over a year ago, Mr. Kevin Reeder. Kevin Reeder! All right, all right. Cool. Yeah, it's been a great year with uh, with Eric. Um, thanks, thanks everybody. Um, uh, so the I think about annual, and um, I'm I'm kind of a nostalgic guy. So I wanted to just share something with everybody. Um, that was a part of an old sketch group that I, that I was in. Um, every year, uh, we would. Uh, the, I was in this group called the Other Other Guys. For anybody who doesn't know, thanks, thank you. Uh, we were we were a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together. Um, good friends. Uh, but every year, uh, we would go back to our alma mater, uh, the University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, and we would uh, take part in a um, in a sketch in a like uh, community sort of uh, comedy show down there called Malignant Humor. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Either you get it or you don't. Um, so, whatever. Um, but but anyways, uh, uh, I knew that there are a lot of uh, uh, TMNT fans here, and uh, so I wanted to share this. Uh, it was written by Brian McGovern, and with uh, the newest uh, show coming out on Nickelodeon, I thought it was apropos. So um, this is uh, 10 Reasons You Might Be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. <laughs> I'm going to do this in the vein of Jeff Foxworthy because that's how Brian wanted it done. So I checked with him. He's cool with it. So anyways, here we go. If you've been trained in various forms of martial arts by a giant rat... <laughs> And you're cold-blooded? You might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Okay, so, so from here on out, I'll cue you guys, and then maybe together we can all say, you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Because it's going gonna, it's gonna to be belaboring if I say it every time. All right. all right, so. If you have an insatiable lust for flat-breaded Italian cuisine, you and, that, and were birthed from an EGG, you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Three. If your If your love for a broadcast journalist dressed in a bright yellow overcoat defies the theory of natural selection, you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Okay, four. We've got ten guys, so let's go. If your mortal enemy is known as the Shredder, and you don't own socks, you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Alright. If Vanilla Ice wrote a song about you, and you're not Vanilla Ice, then you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Alright, so... If you believe that a thin, monochromatic cloth mask serves as an adequate disguise when you're a giant reptile with bulging muscles, you might be a Teenage Ninja Turtle. If your body has been horribly mutated on a genetic level by a freak sewer accident, but you still have an overall good attitude about that? <laughs> you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. If you're skilled in the ancient art form of ninjutsu and belong to the taxonomic order of testudines, <laughs> you might be a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. If you breathe through the process of buccal pumping, <laughs> Pulling air into the mouth and pushing it into the lungs via oscillations of the floor of the throat. <laughs> and you say cowabunga a lot! <laughs> you might be a teenage turtle. And finally, 
if you're between the ages of 13 and 19 and are also a mutant ninja turtle, then you are definitely a teenage mutant ninja turtle. Let's give it up for a Brian McGovern, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Thank you, Kevin. Here's a fun fact I tell people all the time, and now I'm going to record it, so I'll never say it again. That's not true. The Ninja Turtles are based off of the story of Daredevil, the superhero, because Eastman and Laird thought it was so ridiculous that someone would get struck by ooze and develop super senses. So in, in their story, the same truck that blinds Matt Murdock is the truck that dumps its mutagen into the sewer and... And kind of births the turtles. And there's like other differences, like, you know, Daredevil fights the hand, the turtles fight the foot. Uh, you know, the turtles' master is Splinter, Daredevil's trainer is Stick. So this story checks out, you guys. Uh, anyway, uh, Charlie Madsen, come on up. How's your fantasy Madden League going, Charlie? What's that? How's, how's Madden going? Um, it's actually going well. The Texans beat the Lions in overtime. Oh, vice versa, sorry. I was really rooting for the Lions in that one. <laughs> I won't get into it, but they've had a tough season. <laughs> oh, God, that's actually important to me. That's so sad. <laughs> that sound like I'm being jokey. All right, so annual. Uh, we are now in the zone that is known as the holidays. There are holidays throughout the entire year, but these are the holidays. Now, my favorite time of year just happens to be October 31st through December 31st. But the reasonings for me have always been fluid throughout life. The end of October uh, often brought with it the first snowfall of the year in Alaska, where I am from. And it's also the darkest time of the year when you have about six hours of daylight, slowly ticking down to about four hours around Christmas. Now, when I was younger, I loved Halloween because it was vibrant and full of creativity and life and free candy. <laughs> As a kid, I was obsessed with checking out books on the universal monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein. I could read for hours at a third grade level <laughs> about the plight of Lawrence Talbot and his gypsy curse. <laughs> to have a holiday that celebrates the fears was fascinating, but two decades later, you rarely see your best fears come to life on Halloween. Sure, you might see a guy dressed up as your unfulfilled dreams, or a girl with sexy Alzheimer's, but <laughs> it's just not really the same. <laughs> And now, I mean, candy is just constantly available to you, and you could buy it for yourself, and you don't really enjoy it as much because in candy hides the scary walrus monster known as diabetes. <laughs> no, the true joy of Halloween now comes from drinking in costume. It's now the sexiest holiday of the year. Take that, Arbor Day! <laughs> it's also a solid excuse to only watch movies where beautiful people get burnt, stabbed, mauled, mutilated, and decapitated, all in the name of a holiday. <laughs> Speaking of overindulgence, the next holiday, of course, is Thanksgiving. Now, my family has been in the same small island uh, for about a hundred or so years more, and I have many cousins, brothers, sisters, and several generations, uh, most of whom I don't even know. We are so large that we had a very large and loud Thanksgiving filled with uh, the little sparkly apple stuff and all kinds of cooked beasts, like including smoked seal and walrus. Uh, there was never a shortage of food. Candles were always lit at the house, and my cool inventor cousins were always showing off their newest ideas, which includes actual working homemade flamethrowers, <laughs> a cannon that shot beer cans full of cement, <laughs> And their own broadswords. That worked. Yeah. Uh, also, their bedroom had a fire pole and a pinball machine. So Thanksgiving was the tits. <laughs> but then I went to college, so I couldn't go home for Thanksgiving as much because it was $300 round trip to get back to my island. Uh, so I just thought the money was better suited to save for Christmas, and I found myself in the homes of others, having big meals with new families. This has become more prominent in Chicago, obviously, with home being thousands of miles and dollars away. But if you spend enough time in a place, you gain friendship momentum, and like Katamari Damasi, <laughs> you gather a new ball of friends. <laughs> so I'm happy to say that last Sunday we had our annual, third annual Thanksgiving, Friendship Thanksgiving, with over three dozen 20-something transplants chowing down on their own homemade dishes. Christmas used to mean something more to us when we were kids, though. Uh, it wasn't just about jolly, judgmental wizard who lived in the Fortress of Solitude. <laughs> it was also about toys. But the older we get, the more disappointment we feel for each other. 
not only in the gifts we receive, but also the disappointment in the eyes of others. I mean, there are a few gifts in this world that can truly make your mom cry and your dad be speechless, and whatever they are, you cannot afford it. <laughs> you try and hold on to the magic, and, but uh, as the cynicism of corporate consumerism washes over you, and you get it in moments with the taste of eggnog and the snow falling in the darkness, and the look in your nephew's face when he gets the General Grievous double-blade rotating lightsaber, <laughs> you still value the quiet time with the family in front of the fireplace, though, watching Dennis Leary curse at Kevin Spacey in the ref. <laughs> but still, I mean, this all used to mean so much more. So... That's why now things have shifted, and my favorite holiday is actually New Year's Eve. An annual holiday, of course. Well, it was once yeah, the night of fireworks. It's like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah! You have to do that when it happens, right? What <laughs> uh, was once just a night of fireworks and adult parties has now become the culmination of a year's journey. This is, not one this is the one holiday I insist on celebrating with friends, not girlfriends or family. I prefer to get wild and rowdy at a house party with my best friend from high school, Ron Jackson. We don't pull any of the remember when nonsense. We just put on suits and ties and then we eat and drink and dance and scream. And it's the happiest we could ever be. And we don't look forward. We don't look backward. It's one of the few times where we actually just can live in the moment. Now, Ron and I never talk when we're away and he's still home. We dislike talking on the phone and we have nothing to say via text. But we've always acknowledged the platonic, brotherly love that we feel for each other, openly, when we are in person. Especially that one trip to Australia, which I won't get into detail about. <laughs> Our fr friendship. Our <laughs> friendship. Our friendship is strongest based on proximity. So we celebrate New Year's, this is our annual tradition, by taking our pants off at midnight. <laughs> friendship. Friendship. <laughs> friendship. There's no rhyme or reason to this, it's just what we do. And we make every guy in the room do it too, no matter where we are, including the bar. And we just drop trowel at midnight and get our picture taken. Uh, the two New Year's Eves I missed when I was here, I texted in pictures of me pantless at Alaska Midnight, which is 3 a.m. here. So when it's 3 a.m. and you're texting a guy a picture of you without your pants on, it's because you love that guy. And as I say this out loud, I regret nothing. <laughs> Very secure people. Uh, <laughs> the annual celebration is of something is the attempt to set a marker for ourselves in time and to see how far we've come and how far we have to go. And every year we have the same holidays, but rarely are we ever the same people. The old holiday memories become fleeting and out of reach, and the holidays that are to come become blurry and unattainable sometimes. But somehow New Year's Eve is always perfect. On the night that we celebrate the advancement of time, somehow time stands still with its pants around its ankles. Thank you very much, Charlie. All right, guys, new rule. If you say the theme of the month in your story, the exact word you have to point to the ceiling, that is awesome. I think, Charlie, you're the second person to do that. Aaron Pinkson did it a long time ago. It always cracks me up. So, new rule. Uh, we have another Charlie here, remotely, uh, from New Jersey, Charlie Cannell via Chris Geiger. Huh? Yeah, we can do remote nerd awards. Charlie is a, a good friend of ours who moved out to Jersey just a couple months ago. He actually hung out with us in New York when we were there. It was yeah. probably the and most fun him the, in Because he said he would really miss your stories, so I told him if he ever has something he wants to have read, to email it to me, and he did. Okay. The, the, the offer goes to all of you as well, so if you don't want to go to your stories one night and you want to get your monologue read, just email it to me. I'm here, but I want you to read my monologue. That's right. Uh, before I get started, though, a I, I, little uh, Eastman and Laird deep cut as well. Um, Nerdalogs, your stories actually started almost a year before the annual, um, as the prototype was Nerdalogs off book. But... I consider this the year anniversary because it was the year anniversary that we had Dwight and Eric hosting, and that is the true golden age of your story. So, uh, I would like a round of applause for Eric. Yeah! Yeah! Without, without them, this wouldn't be a thing that is so awesome as it is. It would have been that stupid thing that we did. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, you jicks. Uh, uh, so without further ado, um, 
This is Charlie speaking. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed every Your Stories that I have participated in and witnessed, and it has really bummed me out that moving across the country would end the live participation part for me. Then, much like the dino DNA in Jurassic Park, nature found a way. <laughs> and you are hearing this story today. Uh, Mr. Geiger here has been kind enough to allow me to participate in Your Stories, despite being 795.3 miles away in Jersey City. I wish that I was a better writer and didn't write the story in the first person, but just pretend that Chris has a little less hair on top and some more heft down below. <laughs> and we should be fine. <laughs> so thanks. Uh, and the monologue is entitled, Give Me My Pink Heroin. One nice thing about the modern society we live in is that it is now possible to obtain almost any food at all times. Since so much of our produce is grown in other countries, we don't have to wait for banana season anymore. We can indulge it in the most phallic, we can indulge in the most phallic breakfast food no matter what time of the year. <laughs> and that's great. <laughs> that's progress. Yet for some reason, there are certain foods that we consider to be seasonal for no reason whatsoever. Uh, could we be having them 12 months of the year? Sure. Yet for some reason, the Illuminati won't allow us to. <laughs> Due to this injustice, I consider this time of year to be peppermint ice cream season. <laughs> I have an affinity for peppermint ice cream. Okay, that's an understatement. Peppermint ice cream is my drug of choice. I fiend for it. I've actually considered letting it melt on the spoon and then injecting it into my arm, but I don't even have the patience for spoons when it comes to peppermint ice cream. I just dive into the carton head first and go to town. It is the finest of all ice creams and quite possibly the finest dessert known to man. This is a fact. When I was a child, peppermint ice cream was available all year round for one simple reason. It's delicious. <laughs> then some jerk in marketing at Edie's must have crafted some inane algorithm and announced that they would make more money if they rationed peppermint ice cream so it is only available at Christmas. Yet there's no reason why peppermint ice cream would become seasonal. We eat peppermints all year long. <laughs> Every restaurant has peppermints in a dish as you walk out the door, and nobody ever bitches about those being around out of season. Why does the ice cream have to be lumped in with Christmas? As I wait for the peppermint ice cream to arrive, I start to get the shakes around October. <laughs> I'll wander off during shopping trips to spend time staring at the ice cream section. <laughs> I know that it won't be in yet. Instead, I try to anticipate where the delightful pink cartons will be stocked when they arrive. <laughs> As November rolls around, I start to make excuses to the go to the grocery store. Sure, I might only need a, th a thing of milk, which can be easily obtained at the 7-Eleven a half block away, but I'll figure I'll ride the bus to Jules just in case the peppermint has arrived. <laughs> Once peppermint has arrived in stores, I tried my best to contain myself. Part of me wants to buy all that they have <laughs> and immediately fill the bathtub with the ice cream when I get home. But I, I do have a sliver of dignity. Now here's where things tend to go awry. By December 15th, there will not be a single carton of peppermint ice cream left. Despite it being held back from the entire, years, the entire year, Edie's can't make enough to keep it on shelves through Christmas. And as I start to piece together that it will be another long, cruel year before I taste sweet, pink perfection again, the rest of the ice cream case taunts me. The other seasonal flavors are readily available. Eggnog is one of the flavors. Eggnog sucks. <laughs> the only reason people can tolerate it is by pouring copious amounts of liquor into it. No one is ever going to want, want to eat eggnog ice cream, hence there being dozens of cartons left. And this angers me far less than the hot chocolate ice cream. Hot chocolate is not a frickin' flavor. It's a temperature of a flavor. A temperature that it cannot maintain if it is in ice cream. It makes my brain hurt in the bad way, not the righteous pain I get when gorging myself with peppermint ice cream. <laughs> when I come down from peppermint ice cream glow, I am, 
I am mostly bitter about having to wait another year for it to return. Once the bitterness starts to fade, I realize that it that my yearly tradition of waiting, stalking, gorging, and complaining that makes me adore the pink stuff as much as I do. So, I've come to love the yearly tradition. And on those days in August when I feel like I'm going to lose my mind and that the yearly tradition is bullshit, I just have to remember that Margie stocks peppermints all year long. So thank you, and thank you, Charlie. Thanks, Charlie. That was awesome. I foresee one day in the future, Chris, where the whole show is just you reading people's monologues. And, you <laughs> and different voices, I hope. Also, sincerely, thank you for the kind words right back at you guys. I love doing monologues. This is the most fulfilling thing that I do. So thank you all for coming and sharing. And my partner in crime, Dwight Hassler. Um, <laughs> the person who is naysaying Dwight now gets to speak, Shelby Mongan. <laughs> you do it out of love, right? No. <laughs> um, so, my monologue is about an annual event, but it's also the monologue, well, a better version, of the monologue I read the first time I came to Nerdalogs, which is a year and two months ago. So, now it's going to be on record, which is exciting. Okay, so you need to know two facts about me for this story. One, I'm a nerd. <laughs> I'm here. This has been true damn near since birth, and considering as a freshman in college, I willingly learned how to play Magic the Gathering because it looked like fun. I see no sign of it stopping anytime soon. <laughs> two, my dating life is a mess. <laughs> my relationships have been few and far between, and the handful of examples that are there either were utterly forgettable or complete disasters. So combine these two facts and lead to me in a Spyro the Dragon costume, sitting across from a man uh, probably 15 years older than me, speed dating at a comic book convention. <laughs> So let me back up a little bit. Um, I led a very sheltered nerd life. Um, I grew up on the East Coast, and when I got to Chicago, I was stoked about college, but I was really excited to have some room to explore my nerdiness. Magic was one of those things. Um, and I knew friends that had gone to C2E2 before, um, Chicago Comic Book and Entertainment Expo. I don't have to explain that. You guys know what that is. <laughs> um, I had some friends that had gone, and I just started reading comics about a year before I went, and I thought this was going to be great. Um, I love passionate people. I love costumes. I love kilt booths. Like, what could I not buy? <laughs> so when I was signing up and I was buying my ticket, um, I was browsing through all the different things that they have to offer, and there's, like, bands and different things going on, um, and one of those things was speed dating. Um, and if anyone here saw the short-lived and really disappointing show Geek Love on TLC, which is not a learning channel anymore, it's that same company. Um, so what they do is they go to different cons and they put on speed dating, which is a hilarious job to have. <laughs> so I wasn't necessarily like looking for the love of my life, but I was like, you know what, this seems like a fun thing and I'm just going to give it a shot. So I don't do things halfway. Um, when I showed up to Nerdalogs for the first time, I read a monologue. I hadn't met anyone here and I read a monologue the first time. I don't do anything halfway. And so if I'm going to go to a con, I'm going to dress up. So I dress up as Spyro the Dragon, because that was my jam when I was a kid. So I like, I made, I handmade my own wings, I had horns, no one got what I was wearing the whole time, which sucked. Um, but I was excited about my costume, and without thinking, I planned on wearing it the same day as speed dating. But I was like, you know, no, this will be fine, like, other people will be in costume, like, this is a con. Totally gonna be fine. Oh, no. <laughs> you know where this is going. So I'm, I tend to be a little socially anxious, but I, I pushed through it and I, I left my friends and I wandered down and there's it's really ramshackle signs pointing to a very large room very far away from the con floor. And I'm greeted by a gypsy, a stormtrooper, and the Terminator. <laughs> and I was like, good! I'm not the only one. So I walk in the room full of non-costumed people, separated like a middle school dance on purpose. 
This is a thing that they do. They put the guys on one end and the girls on the other side, and it's technically because of like security reasons, but it just made it more uncomfortable <laughs> and more nerdy than it needed to be in the first place. And so we were all kind of used to the awkward separation though, so I think it actually made us all feel at home. The experience itself was kind of unremarkable, honestly. It was fun. Um, I met some nice people. Um, I got a lot of phone numbers, none of which I called. I did get one stalker that looked like Napoleon Dynamite, which was pretty funny. Um, but as a general rule, it was pretty unremarkable. Um, but what's notable to me about this um, is looking back. So I said that I signed up for this because it looked like fun and it was something interesting, which is true. It seemed like it'd be something fun to do, but there's another reason behind it. Um, and it's a lot less flattering. It's a lot less uh, nice for me. Um, but with someone as, uh, with a face like a rosy chipmunk um, and someone who is not necessarily conventionally hot, I have never been the hottest girl in the room. It's not a thing that's ever been my bag. Which is okay, but it's, I don't know what that's like. I've never experienced that. I was an awkward kid. If you've seen any of my other monologues, a lot of them talk about how weird I was when I was younger. So this is a trend that has just continued. Um, I know what it's like to be the loudest in the room. I know what it's like to be the funniest in the room. In I, my own head. But I don't know what it's like to be the hottest. And so in the back of my mind, there was this thought that maybe if I did this like for once, because I'm kind of a day walker when it comes to being a nerd. Like I can kind of pass. I have enough social skills and like I could pass. And I was like, maybe this is my chance. Like maybe this is, I get a taste of that popular kid thing. Um... And so, I can't say for sure whether or not that really happened. Um, I was the youngest by far. <laughs> I was 19 at the time. I'm pretty sure the next person was 25. So that was good. I did well at that. Um, I was the most of something. But what I found that regardless of whether or not I was the hottest girl in the room, I had a good time. And I chatted about Firefly and talked about comics and met a couple really nice people. Um, and I found at the end of it that, you know, being attractive, being the most attractive person in the room is probably the least interesting thing I could want for myself. But to be the nerdiest just might be good enough. Thanks. Thank you, Shelby. They, I don't know if this was the case when the year you did it, but last year they ran uh, Nerd Speed Dating like round the clock at C2E2. Like every 45 minutes there was another session, so it must really be working for them. <laughs> Next up, we have the man with, I, I would argue, the probably the awesomest beard in the room, Chris Crotwell. Yeah. Look at that. Look at that. This is amazing. Well, thank you. You know, homeless people yeah, say that all the time. <laughs> well, I'll post pictures and then people will know. All right, so the theme was annual, and my birthday's in two days. Yeah. This is not necessarily a story about my birthday. It's a story that the temporal accident of when my birthday is made happen. A story of transformation and shame. <laughs> so every year when I was little, one thing ruined my birthday. And it wasn't Thanksgiving. It was the Iron Bowl. <laughs> my family didn't care about football. And I don't know if you know what the Iron Bowl is. If you're from Alabama, Every year, this is a contest of good and evil. It's a religious rite. It's, it's a crucible of fandom. It's intense. And it's a big deal to everybody. But, you know, not to my family. They didn't really care. And I didn't like football. And I especially didn't like it because I never got to have a birthday Saturday the entire time I was growing up. Never. Do you know what party I wanted? Dinosaurs. <laughs> I wanted a fucking dinosaur party. But you can't have a dinosaur party because that Saturday, every year, people are drinking, eating barbecue, and watching something on TV that you can't understand. And it just seems stupid. Why does everyone like this? Why are they so passionate? I just chalked it up as a symptom of the same mania that made everyone go to church on Sunday and think that turnip greens were edible. <laughs> I didn't understand it. It was so confusing. And just, just to give you a taste, it's such a big deal that my elementary school, every week for the Iron Bowl, the whole week 
everyone was mandated to wear the colors for the team that they supported. <laughs> As someone that didn't care, this is very confusing for me, you can't show up wearing nothing. That's like the looks you get from people when you don't take communion. <laughs> very uncomfortable. I don't like that feeling. So my grandparents, and this is something to know, they weren't around a whole lot. They had other grandkids. They're called the Auburn Tigers, and I say this with enormous shame now. My grandparents were famous in Auburn, Alabama. They've had the same spot on the Tiger Walk, which is the, play, this is the way the Tigers get to the stadium, for over 40 years now. So they provided me with a tiny little Auburn outfit and a little hat and a goofy little jersey. And it makes me sick now. <laughs> I can see that little kid hating football, not caring being forced to wear a dorky little outfit so that people didn't look at him sideways. And he was wrong. <laughs> he was wrong. <laughs> when I got to college, for the first two years, I still sort of had a retrograde hate for football. It was a pain in the ass. It brought all these people into town who didn't go to college there. They got drunk, they tore everything up, and they took all my parking. <laughs> and it's just obnoxious. But you, you can't feel that way forever when you're somewhere like Tuscaloosa, Alabama. You can't feel that way for long. I remember one day, and I can't pinpoint the exact day, one day, somewhere in my sophomore year, I looked around and I said, this is beautiful. It's beautiful. And from then on, with all of the passion and zealotry, like someone who recently converted to Catholicism, <laughs> I love the Crimson Tide. I love yeah. them. With a passion. I understand now why people use the word we when they say we won. <laughs> when I was little, I was like, you didn't do anything. <laughs> no, it is we. It's us. It's unity. It's, it's passion. And it is religious. It's intense. It's as close as I get to watching something with unfailing unfailing certitude and self-righteousness and know that we're the good guys. <laughs> Fuck those barners. <laughs> Auburn ain't shit. <laughs> and so, a couple years ago, I had my dinosaur party. I had it. And it was great. I went to, finally, I went to McWayne Center, which is a children's museum in Birmingham. I, I watched an IMAX movie uh, called Sea of Monsters about plesiosaurs. It was amazing. But a couple days later, I had a whole hell of a lot more fun watching the Iron Bowl. And so I'll leave you with this. A couple words of wisdom. Bear Bryant said, I ain't never been nothing but a winner. And I firmly believe that. And then four... Or two of the most important phrases in my life. Hail Saban, roll tide. So, so yesterday was a pretty good day for you, huh, Chris? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good day. Yeah. I'm going to talk about this song before we play it. Uh, so last month, Sawyer proposed a drinking game for Nerdalog. Sawyer, what was the one on the game related to an artist who song we might play? Oh, the boss. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> Everybody a, drink a few months ago I talked about how I went to, uh, earlier this year, an academic conference about Bruce Springsteen and I presented Whoa. a paper. And that was my kind of first big break in academic writing, which I've been doing pretty good with. I, I'm obsessed with the intersection of pop culture and academia. Um, certain people I talk to don't consider that a valid course of study, and I say, fuck you guys. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm, uh, Bruce Springsteen released a new record this year uh, called Wrecking Ball. It's not my favorite work by him, but I, I was really interested in how, for the first time in his career, and this was the point of my paper, all of the songs are narrated from a we. Like, someone who's known for writing very personal <laughs> stories, very specific stories, all of a sudden has taken this very man-of-the-people, like, Pete Seeger stance. And I, I think that's so fascinating. It's obviously uh, a reaction to the political environment and, you know, whatever. But 
I I think it's it's cool as a as a narrative twist, and so I wanted to write a paper about that, which I did. It was all about pronouns. People made fun of me because they thought it was very <laughs> pedantic to write about pronouns, even at an academic conference. But that's okay. So I'm gonna read what I had to say about this song, and then we're gonna play it. So I said. But as illustrative as We Take Care of Our Own is of my main point, Wrecking Ball's title track is perhaps the best example. Here Springsteen's lyrics synthesize his love of specific storytelling with his move towards a very general man-of-the-people stance. This song starts off with a very precise, couldn't-be-anything-else first-person description of Giant Stadium. This is a story about a structure, not about America. Well, not at the start. Then the middle eight hits, and things change. We know that come tomorrow, none of this will be here, Springsteen emotes, and all of a sudden the public... For there are no characters in the song for the we to refer to has been injected into the proceedings. This isn't just a song about a building being demolished anymore. It's a song about transience, the destruction of a lifestyle, and moving on. This verse, like so many on the album Wrecking Ball, directly refers to the American recession and its ravaging of so many lives. Springsteen has worked his magic on this track, taking a quintessentially American object, a football stadium, and crafting it into a metaphor for the American experience. We'll all weather hard times, and sometimes it just feels like we're burning down the clock but we can always face challenges with defiance. This is Wrecking Ball, and I get a certain pleasure in making Dwight sing these songs because I sing them so often. I was raised out of steel here in the swamps of Jersey Some misty years ago Through the mud and the beer Blood and the cheers I've seen champions come and go So if you got the guts, mister, yeah, if you've got the balls, if you think it's your time to step to the line and bring on your wrecking ball, bring on your wrecking ball, bring on your wrecking ball, come on and take your best shot, let me see what you've got, bring on your
best song on that record. What do you think, Steve? I agree. Awesome. I love that song. <laughs> Accord. The guy who was basically our recording engineer for the past six to eight months, uh, Sean Patrick Boyle, him and his lovely wife Diane just had uh, a child. Yay! Um, so if we can all just, I want to get this recorded. If we can all once again please give it up for Sean and Diane and Logan Kepler Boyle. Oh, that's, that's a pretty good reason for not being here. The Nerdalogs Present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdalogs and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Upstairs Gallery in Chicago, 5219 North Clark Street. The stories you hear have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Your Stories is recorded and co-produced by Sean Patrick Boyle. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on The Nerdalogs, Your Stories, and more, go to www.nerdalogs.com. <laughs>